As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to a new episode of 49ers Talk on NBCSportsBayArea.com. Introducing your hosts, 49ers insider Matt Mayoko and 49ers host Laura Britt. All right, this is 49ers Talk brought to you by Big O Tires. I'm Matt Mayoko, and that person that you haven't seen in a while, that's Laura Britt. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just want to say NBC is being super cautious um, for obvious reasons. We've seen it happen in the NFL. So I just had a sore throat and a runny nose, but they did not want me to come in and host the show on Sunday. And also that put me out of doing 49ers talk. So everything's fine. A lot of people have reached out on social media and I really appreciate that. Everybody wishing me well, but it was all very, very minor. Um, But NBC, again, just being really cautious and careful we're in person when we're in studio, so we don't want to risk or chance anything. So that's why I was not able to be there on Sunday, but I'm here. I'm back. Um, I do. I did have a negative COVID test, so I'm excited to have all of that hopefully behind me. But who knows how the season plays out? Um, as we've seen in the NFL, you know, let's just hope that we can all stay together and and continue to be able to do shows. Well, that's great news. But I also remember when I had children about your age. I think. I was always sick. Yes. So, so you might be going through this a lot here. Don't put that on me. Don't okay. put that on me. But it is very true. All, my entire family is sick right now. So, you know, I get that as probably most of you get this like once or twice a year and it just happens. But when it happens during sure. a worldwide pandemic, it changes things. It definitely does. And, and you notice, Laura, how I'm shaking a little bit. I didn't notice before yeah. now. But. Yeah, um, I'm teaching my 15 year old and a half, 15 and a half year old daughter there you go. how to drive. Oh. So if I if you oh. think that I'm maybe a little bit on edge, uh, you know, whoa, there's something moving back there. You'll know why. So if this is before we get into the Niners stuff, are you one of the grab the the handlebar parents? I'm one of, that. I'm one of the uh churning inside but trying to act really calm and cool and say uh lucy get more into the middle more into the middle more into the middle um okay uh turn signal turn turn signal um and so i try to keep it calm but when i do that tone she calls at least she says that i'm yelling at her right even yeah. though i i wanted to start recording our conversations so i so i could play it back to her later and, and tell her see i'm not yelling at you i'm just advising you as calmly as i possibly can i can laugh at you right now because in about 13 years you can laugh yeah. right back at me yes oh and I will. I know. Hey, um, you know, we, so everybody, we all have our issues in life. (laughs) Here's that transition. And, uh, the 49ers certainly have theirs. Uh, so Wednesday, the first day that they're practicing to face the, the Miami dolphins, 
Uh, good news, Jimmy Garoppolo Limited or Raheem Mostert Limited, uh, those are the guys who are coming back from injuries that have kept them out a couple of games. Um, also, Akella Weatherspoon with a hamstring injury. So I asked uh, Kyle Shanahan, if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't play in this game, who's going to be the backup or who's going to be the starter, I should say, or even if Garoppolo does play, who's going to be the backup. And Kyle Shanahan does not want to, to divulge that information. He says, because Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard are uh, different styles of quarterbacks. He doesn't want to give the Miami dolphins that heads up. Um, my feeling is that I don't think they'd pull the plug on Nick Mullins after one bad game, but I do believe if Nick Mullins were to start this game and right now I'm thinking it's going to be Garoppolo with kind of a little bit of a hedging of my bets. If, if it is Mullins though, I think that that hook would probably come sooner. He, yeah. his leash would be shorter. Yeah, I completely agree. Just from the pileup of mistakes that happened against the Eagles, things got out of hand. And so I do think you can't take away what he did against the Giants and the Jets, but those are two really bad football teams. And, and the Eagles were, too. <laughs> so, they were. Now they're they in first place in the NFC East. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a whole – that's a different podcast, yes. Mayoko. Yeah. The NFC West is a totally different story, and that's why I do think the leash has to be shorter because you are dealing with the NFC West, and, and this is the exact opposite of the NFC East. It's Teams are really competitive, and you've got the Seahawks um, still undefeated on the season, and – all that they bring, I just, I do think it will be a short leash. Hopefully they don't have to deal with that. A big um, news, piece of news that Kyle Shanahan said this week is that this was Richard Sherman's eligibility week to be able to come back, and he's not going to be able to come back. Just right. with all of the injuries in the past with his Achilles, I think they're taking it really slow because it is a calf issue, but when you've had surgeries on your Achilles tendons before, you don't want to risk any type of long-term injury to Sherman. Yeah, so the, the goal for him would be to be back week six when the 49ers face the Rams on Sunday night football. Uh, Richie James is back practicing. Uh, they opened the window for him. So the wide receiver slash punt returner missed, uh, what, three weeks with a hamstring injury. So he is eligible to play this week if they bring him up. Uh, a couple what does guys that do let's sit there for a second Mayoko, because yeah. I know a lot of people just with so many injuries it's hard for even me to keep up with all this I know all of you know you listening and watching you're you got full-time jobs I don't know how you keep up with all of it so what does that do if Richie James is able to be a full go on Sunday to the wide receiving room well I don't well let's let's Take that back a step, too, because the 49ers did make a roster move, so they've already cut Mohamed Sanu. Right. He was only on the team a couple of weeks, and so they cut him. There was a question I, I got this last week in our overreaction segment about whether Dante Pettis would be the one to go, and my thought was, yeah, probably, because Mohamed Sanu was playing more, not a whole lot, but he was playing more on offense, and then basically, though, he wasn't playing enough to really justify a roster spot when he doesn't also have special teams capabilities. Not that Dante Pettis is a great special teams player, but he at least gave them something or had some skills there. But with Richie James coming back, my guess is they would, they would keep all their wide receivers because they would have to create 
a spot for Richie James and Kyle Shanahan has already said that they're going to place Ziggy Yonsa and uh, Nickelback Kwan Williams on injured reserve. So if those guys go on injured reserve, which they will before Saturday at 1 p.m. or at Saturday at 1 p.m., then that's one spot for Richie James. And then they'd have to figure out who else is going to be up. So um, that, that's something to keep an eye on. The question is, you know, would Richie James take over as the punt returner? Uh, they haven't gotten much out of their punt return game so far this year mm -hmm. with Trent Taylor being back there and a little bit of Pettis. So I think probably James would go back to the punt return duties, but you know, right now they're only getting production from three wide receivers, kind of like last year where it's Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk and Kendrick Bourne. And, Trent Taylor hasn't been the kind of factor that I thought he'd be on third downs. He hasn't gotten open repeatedly like I thought he would. And then they haven't, you know, they don't have anything else really in the, in the mix as far as the wide receiver position. Are you thinking that the lack of, it's not just you that thought Trent Taylor was going to have a huge season. I mean, if you go back and read uh, and even listen to people talking on TV and everybody thought he well, was I'm talking on TV. You're talking on TV also. Yeah. Um, what do you attribute that to? Is that so many injuries all over the board? The, you know, the blocking game's not as good. You don't have Jimmy Garoppolo for some of your games. What is, is Trent Taylor not living up to what his expectations are? What are you pinpointing that on? Yeah, I, I think that's it. I, I think that he's not getting open quickly enough against man coverage. That's what you look for from your slot receiver. You know, he's got, you know, one of the all-time great slot receivers, Wes Welker, as his wide receivers coach. And it's such an easy, I mean, relatively speaking, I couldn't do it, but it's an easy pitch and catch, right, for, for a quarterback to see the slot receiver usually getting open quickly in the middle of the field. When you see the blitz coming, you can dump it out to them. And we just haven't seen that from uh, any of the quarterbacks in Trent Taylor. So yeah, that, that one's, that one's a little bit perplexing to me. Uh, it, it just might be that he's, you know, he's not at that level where he can repeatedly and consistently get open against good nickel cornerbacks. So that might be it. Um, a, a few other things uh, did not practice on Wednesday, a bunch of defensive backs, you know, Emmanuel Mosley to me is concerning because yeah. he's already missed a game because of a concussion. And, you know, he hasn't passed all the way through that protocol. And a lot of times when we've seen concussions, boy, I don't want to make this sound bad, but a lot of times we kind of take it for granted because we see a guy diagnosed with a concussion and they're back at practice later in the week, and they don't miss a game. Uh, but Emmanuel Mosley has had these concussion symptoms who, that have lasted longer than certainly he would want or the team would want. So that's concerning. And then Dante Johnson uh, sustained a groin injury in that game Sunday night against the Eagles. And because the 49ers basically had nobody left to go into the game, I mean, I was watching him on the sideline. He was getting that thing stretched out, and he went back into the game because the 49ers really didn't have anybody else. And he ended up giving up the, the long touchdown pass. And then also Jimmy Ward has a wrist injury. Kyle Shanahan doesn't think that that's a big deal. Um, but that's we've pretty much brought us uh, up to date on the 49ers injury situation. So uh, they'll make some moves. 
there's they're they're lacking in some positions and you know guys are starting to come back a little bit so I, I think maybe the injuries I was going to say the injuries situation is stabilizing but you say that and then of course you know, Ans is out, K1 Williams is out, Dante Johnson gets injured. So to be honest, I was sitting here preparing for the podcast and my list, I had to go to two pages. I mean, it just, oh, wow. it just keeps going. And I was, it was, it felt daunting just to, to write it all out. And then imagine being Shanahan and Lynch trying to manipulate your, your scheme to make this work. And then all of the other moves that you have to make I mean, they've done a really good job with the cards that they've been dealt. Got to be the Eagles, the 49ers. I can't think of other teams that have as many injuries as these two teams. It's just been – the sad thing is it's been pretty consistent over the past couple of years with the injuries that the 49ers have been dealt, and, and that's just the way the – the cookie crumbles in the NFL. Yeah, this is probably a good time to welcome in our new sponsor. 49ers Talk is brought to you by FitAid, the number one workout recovery drink in America. Try now and visit drinkfitaid.com. So, yeah, we're talking a lot about recovery, Laura. Yeah. I mean, and uh, we'll, there are players to get back out on the field. Yeah, so we're, we'll talk a little bit more about this because you, you bring up something interesting with uh, the, the replacement players coming in and now there are extra complications and protocols for that the, that the NFL is dealing with. But first, um, I want to welcome in our new colleague, Takeo Spikes, longtime linebacker in the NFL, and he's joining our coverage at NBC Sports Bay Area. And Takeo and I, hooked up a little bit earlier to talk about the trenches, the 49ers, and how different it looks now. The 49ers on the offensive and defensive lines. Here's Takeo Spikes. Bring your car to someone you know. Big O Tires. Now through October 11th, save $100 instantly on sets of four Big O brand tires with installation purchase. Plus, get a $50 mail-in rebate on purchases of $500 or more on your Big O credit card. Big O Tires, the team you trust. All right, we're back on 49ers Talk, and we're joined by Takeo Spikes, as we are every week. Takeo Spikes, our colleague at NBC Sports Bay Area, as well as the mastermind on the Behind the, the Mask podcast. Check that out anywhere you get your podcast. So, Takeo, the 49ers enter week five, kind of a team on their heels a little bit, a disappointing loss to the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday night. So, as the Dolphins come to town – what do you think Brian Flores and his coaching staff there saw from that 49ers loss to the Eagles that they can apply moving forward in this game at Levi Stadium? Well, if you're Brian Flores, you have to understand and look, where do I have the most success on the offensive side of the football? We know that comes with their quarterback, Fitzpatrick, and the number one right receiver with Devontae Parker. So I'm spreading the guys out, seeing the favorable matchups, and knowing that the 49ers struggle with Carson Wentz and quarterbacks who are able to scramble, that's exactly what I hope to be able to take advantage of, seeing guys, if they're in man-to-man -man coverage, I'm running guys off. Now it gives an opportunity for Fitzpatrick to see the lanes and pick up easy, cheap first downs, which eventually could break a defense's back. Uh, number two, I would look at on the, on the O-line side, looking at the 49ers giving up so many pressures something unlike we haven't seen 
over the previous two years. Now I'm looking at how can I create games? How can I create third down packages that's going to isolate me with certain guys on the offensive line to where I've seen previous success in recent weeks. So those are the two things if I'm Brian Flores trying to attack to make sure I gain some type of success. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 37 years old. The guy is still going strong. Um, you mentioned that about Devontae Parker. I mean, the 49ers are down a lot of cornerbacks. Uh, Richard Sherman's going to be out another week. Emmanuel Mosley still hasn't cleared the concussion protocol. Akella Weatherspoon has been out. Dante Johnson is a little bit banged up. Um, corner, the uh, nickelback, Kaywan Williams, is going to be going on IR. So the 49ers do have a lot of kind of moving parts in their secondary. But to me, Takio, and you touched on it now, is that the 49ers in the trenches, they, they spent so much, you know, on the defensive side, so many first-round draft picks. And, you know, they invested the number nine overall pick in 2018 on Mike McGlinchey. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the offensive line, but let's start talking about the defensive line because, man, just look at last year. Um, what they were able to do. And their, their top sack guys a year ago were Eric Armstead, nine sacks, Nick Bosa, I'm sorry, Armstead, 10 sacks, Nick Bosa, nine sacks, DeForest Buckner, seven and a half, DeForest, six and a half, and Ronald Blair had three. This year, the 49ers have just eight sacks in four games, and their leaders are Kerry Hyder and DJ Jones. So, I just don't know that they have the firepower. And you mentioned how the, the Dolphins might try to use some games and some stunts and do different things to generate pressure. I almost think that Robert Sala is, is in a position now on the 49ers defense that they just can't do what they want to do, which is turn their front four loose. They're going to have to do some stuff and, and kind of trick it up a little bit. I think this is a prime opportunity, and you're right, Matt. Prime opportunity for the 49ers defensively to understand that, hey, even though we sit at the middle of the pack in the league because we haven't been able to generate enough pass rush when it comes to results. What are the results? The results are sacks. Currently right now, they sit they're at the middle pack of the league, somewhere in that 17, 18 range, ranking in sacks. So when I see this, and you talked about Eric Armstead, you talked about Bosa, D. Buckner, D. Ford, these guys led the 49ers in sacks last year. Guess what? They still have the number three overall defense in the National Football League, fourth and pass. And so when we look at that, you also, as a D coordinator, you have to understand, even though we're not getting the production from sack totals, we're doing a lot of things right. So it's not like they have to go back and reinvent the wheel. I honestly think maybe they stay in a nickel formation and come up with some type of blitz packages to where you see uh, Fred Warner, he's coming down the middle, to where you see Quan Alexander, to where you're leaving both backers in there because they both are athletic enough to be able to stay in and play man zone, man coverage as well as zone, but they can come in and present some problems which we haven't seen because they haven't been used in that way in previous weeks. Yeah, I mean, just look at the, the defense, just how it's changed. You know, their top edge rushers now are Kerry Hyder and Deion Jordan. Deion Jordan started the year on the practice squad, and now he's up playing a big role against his former team. I mean, a guy that, 
you know, he'll admit it. It was a bust with the Dolphins. Had a lot of off-the-field issues, on-the-field issues. And if you get a chance, uh, check it out. I talked to him. He was on the, the podcast earlier this week talking about how he's turned his life around. But, man, they, they went from having, you know, D Ford and Nick Bosa to now Kerry Hyder and Dion Jordan. So, I mean, it's a, it's a different look. And it always fascinates me to Keo's how quickly – a position of power and strength with with a couple of injuries and some bad luck can then turn into a weakness or a thin spot of the team. So it, that, that's a part of this game that we see a lot, but I think it's even greater this year with all of the changes and the fact that we're playing football through a pandemic too. Yeah, it, it is great changes. And when I look at that, Matt, this is the thing that I truly believe when you look at this matchup with the 49ers going against the Dolphins is what happens directly on the offensive side has a big effect on the defensive side. And what I mean by that is you look defensively for the Miami Dolphins when they get ready to go up against the 49ers. We all know the 49ers offense is predicated off of running the football effectively, now being able to create the play-action fake, and then open up for some home runs down the field. Everything is about timing. When you look at the Miami defense, they're giving up 4.6 yards per rush. In the National Football League, 27th in total defense. But the reason why they're so bad, and if you look at previous games of the Dolphins' play, they like to play a lot of man coverage, but I don't think they have the man personnel or the players really don't understand the concepts of what – what is being presented in front of them. They're giving up 109 passer rating on average. So that's 28th in the league when you rank them as far as secondaries for the Miami Dolphins. This truly will be a true test if Jimmy G can come out and play. Even if Jimmy G can't come out and play, I thought C.J. Beathard came out and he provided a spark. That's the reason why he continued to stay in. I love his anticipation when he gets ready to throw the football. He understands what's being presented in front of him. And I truly think a lot of that is due to the fact of he grew up in a football family. And so overall, I think this is the time we talk about the defense right now, but offensively, for defensively for the 49ers, this is their time to shine simply because these guys are, are defensively for the 49ers, these guys are very good at what they do, but I think they will have the success off of the 49ers offense taking advantage of a bad Miami Dolphins secondary. And that's part of, I think, why the 49ers have run into some issues is that, I mean, they, you look at the stat sheet and the 49ers run game looks good, but you, know, you also got to factor in that they've, they've run some wide receiver reverses that have gone for big yards. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, heck, even George Kittle had a tight end reverse that went for nine or 10 yards. But, I, I, you know, the, the yards on first down just aren't there. And the yards on first down really set up what Kyle Shanahan wants to do with that offense, the play action, whatnot. And as we head into the weekend, Kyle Shanahan said that Jimmy Garoppolo returned to practice on Wednesday, but he won't doesn't know whether he's going to play. Heck, Shanahan won't even say who's going to be the next guy in line behind Garoppolo. Oh whether it's Nick Mullins and, or C.J. Beathard. And he's saying, hey, they're two different quarterbacks. I don't want to tell Miami who they should be preparing for if Garoppolo doesn't play. So 
you, that takes us to the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, the 49ers have had some issues w- with protecting the, the quarterback, and they've given up. What have they given up here? 13 sacks in four games. And so that would, you know, that, that's not a great pace that they're on there. And the guys who have given up sacks three apiece, according to Pro Football Focus, from Trent Williams, Daniel Brunskill, and Lakin Tomlinson, that's that's a disappointment uh, because Trent Williams has looked so good. Fortnite's are expecting a lot of him. And then there's Mike McGlinchey, too. A, a lot of people here are kind of questioning why was he the number nine overall pick? Uh, he, he's given up a lot of pressures. What do you think about the offensive line at this point? I know it kind of fits together, running game and passing game, but um, is there any reason to panic after that down performance against the Eagles? I don't, I don't think it's time now. I truly don't believe it's time to panic, and this is the reason why. I think we all have to take into account when you look at this 49ers offense, you have to see the type of style that they play. Everything is time. Everything is tempo. And when you look at the offensive line, they understand with Jimmy G, okay, if we call this play typically in their mind, they know this ball should be out in a certain amount of time span. But when you have different quarterbacks, C.J. Beathard now coming into the mix and Nick Mullins was, you know, in previous weeks, So now you have to understand, like, look, we can't even get into a rhythm. Now, is that an excuse for them not making their blocks? If you playing out, just get beat, that's on you. But sometimes you have to understand everything falls within the scheme, and that's the reason why everybody loves this scheme, because they know if you get the majority of the guys, meaning nine, ten guys, on the same page with the same timing and Kyle Shanahan's offense, everything will work. So I don't think it's time now really to start panicking, especially with Trent Williams. We know he took a year off, and he's still getting acclimated, still getting adjusted. But I I truly believe now they're not playing against any world beaters going up against the the Miami Dolphins. So they have an opportunity to not only get their timing back, but to gain their confidence back, especially if Jimmy G is in the game. You know, watching McGlinchey in particular, he made some really good downfield blocks on the two Brandon Ayuk touchdown runs. And the thing I notice on those is, and it kind of, I think, kind of symbolizes what Kyle Shanahan wants to do with that offensive line. He puts a lot on their plates. You see him, you know, basically faking one kind of block at the snap of the ball before reversing direction and getting down the field and you see, you know, I'm sure as a linebacker, whatever your keys are, they're trying to play off of those. You see linebackers flowing one way and all of a sudden the the play goes back the other way. So can you talk about kind of that deception that the 49ers play up front? And it's, it's with everybody. It's with the wide receivers. It's with Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback. As a linebacker, how difficult is that to see one thing at the snap of the ball and then have to react to something that might take you across the field on a play that you weren't expecting? Well, Matt, it it simply comes down to that. I love his offense because it's so unconventional. And what that means is typically in the run game, he already knows linebackers' keys are read through the guard's helmet, through the fullback, which is now near back, depending on whoever it is. And so when you're taught so many things, it's almost like 
they're teaching you. He went back and found the basis of what linebackers have to understand and read. Then he drew up plays and told certain guys, because I know these linebackers are reading this, you can take a false step this way. Now it's going to totally throw his keys off. And by the time you get into your blocking pattern, now we have an opportunity to get the angles. It's almost like having a kid. And then you're teaching your kid the first language is English. And all of a sudden, you're asking him 12, 15 years of living, okay, now speak Spanish to me. That's the beauty of it. And that's what he did. I know that play that you're referencing. The guard is inside. He takes a step to the left as if he's blocking down on the nose guard, then pulls around and goes to the reverse. Listen, I thought I was outstanding with my reads when I played the game. But if I was to see something like that, I'm coming back and I dare. I'm coming back to the sideline telling my coach, he, first thing coaches love to say, hey, you got to get your damn read. Man, do you see what my guard just did on this picture? You hadn't played against this. Like, this is some innovative stuff. And so I get excited talking about it. And I look forward to seeing him game plan in significant ways to be able to take advantage of that to give his guys the angles. So when Kyle Shanahan is talking about, you know, consistency in the run game, and he said, hey, we're an aggressive running team. We could kind of plot around and get, you know, a yard here, a yard there, and hope to kind of wear you down in the fourth quarter. But that's not his style. His style, it almost looks like, every play is kind of drawn up with, you know what, if this thing's blocked up the way it could be and the ball in this person's hands makes that one guy miss, this thing could be going to the house. It seems like, whereas maybe sometimes plays are just kind of drawn up to get three or four yards, five yards, Kyle Shanahan, a lot of his running plays are designed to go the distance. Matt, we talked about last week, everything that he does is very strategic and it's intentional. And most times, when you look at offenses, especially when they get in short yardage situations, that's when coordinators specifically draw up plays to say, hey, we're going to create a one-on-one. When everybody blocks their guy, then it's up to the running back to be able to make that move and make it happen. He does that on every play, as you mentioned, and it goes to show you Kyle Shanahan, he's a big, he's an open-minded thinker. He understands, like, look, we I can put us in certain positions depending on what they give us, but with my type of personnel, I give you a prime example. When Kittle came back last week, 15 targets, how many catches did he have? 15. 15. So they already knew just because of him not playing the week before, and they knew they were going to put him in certain situations. Sometimes he was wide open. I'm like, how wide open can he be? He's just one of the top players in the league. So it goes to show you being strategic and intentional on every play, accounting for every guy is his style. And the, the thing about this 49ers offense that I think will continue to get better is now, I mean, there's absolutely no question you know, Kittle's their number one playmaker in the passing game. And then there's Debo Samuel. He's back. He's going to get more involved. They just wanted to kind of knock the rust off and make sure that, you know, his his conditioning allows him to get through a game healthy. But Brandon Ayuk, I mean, both of those guys are so similar in that they can run those jet sweeps. They can run routes at, at all depths. 
They're great with the ball in their hands. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk playing, you know, being on the field a lot together and both of them uh, being in essence, the star of the game, depending on where defenses roll their coverage and whatnot. I think what we're seeing now with Brandon Ayuk is we're starting to see the development of a star in this league. I'm not going to call him a superstar yet uh, because he haven't done enough. But what he's shown us in a short period of time is that he understands it and he gets it. And his ability to run after the catch and anticipate certain things happening, that's what sticks out to me more than anything. And I think the more and more these guys continue to play, I think the more and more Jet McKinnon continues to get the football. He's damn near averaging four yards a carry. And, you know, one of the goals when I played the game, and even to this day, you want to limit carries per carry at least to three yards per carry. And so when you got a guy who almost is getting four yards a pop, like it's going to create more opportunities and more confidence for all three of those guys to know at any given time, when I get my balls on, when I get my hands on the ball, now I have the ability to be able to make the play. Yeah. So the 49ers return to action. They're two and two. They return to action against the Dolphins. Too early to say must win, but man, is it a must win? I, I, I wouldn't say it's a must win because I'm glad you asked me that. When you look at the big picture, Matt, this is, this is what it boils down to. I wasn't, I'm not sure if Jimmy G is going to play. And I think as players inside of a locker room, you think, oh, we got to win every game. Like this game is the most important game, which is so true. But big picture is this. Who are the next two opponents? When you look at this Miami Dolphins team, clearly they should beat this team. Now, when you look at what's beyond the picture that's presented in front of them, they play the Rams. Then they play the Patriots after that. So you have to ask yourself, all right, do we really spend time and take the risk of playing Jimmy G with a high ankle sprain, understanding and knowing most high ankle sprains don't get better until three to four weeks, typically three to four weeks, probably really a month. And if you play him too early to where it's aggravated, as much as you can say, hey, I got shot up, as much as you can say, oh, I'm fine, in the back of your mind, it's easily irritated, even if somebody comes by and just hit it. And so when we talk about big picture, I, don't, I wouldn't say this is a must-win game, but I do believe this is a game that they should win, and I don't know will they be able to do it at the expense of Jimmy G sitting out which I think he can, but other quarterbacks, they got to be able to step up and play if it's Nick Mullins or um, C.J. Beathard. Yeah, no excuses, right? Who, who, no excuses. Regardless of who the quarterback is, yes. need to win this game. Yeah. Hey, Takiyo, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll catch you back here next week. Sounds good, Matt. Wendy's has a breakfast worth talking about, and with this menu, you can't let anyone miss out. Go tell somebody about Wendy's Breakfast, available at participating U.S. Wendy's. We're back on 49ers Talk. That was Takeo Spikes, our new colleague at NBC Sports Bay Area. And Laura, you were talking before we went to Takeo about 
sort of the new dynamics around the NFL with the COVID testing and a big outbreak with the Tennessee Titans. And the NFL has kind of clamped down and brought in some new rules, including some limitations on teams bringing in guys from the outside to work out and visit. And it takes longer now for those players to go through the protocols to even get on the field. So, I mean, it kind of comes at a bad time for the 49ers because, man, they are – you know, they, they just had all these injuries and they're looking to replace guys. And now you pretty much are, are dead set on bringing guys in off the practice squad, guys who are in the building and have been in the building. Yeah. This week, Kyle Shanahan was asked about bringing in some, some help. And he basically, he sounded exhausted, just like, let's not even deal with it. That's kind of, that's not exactly what he said, but that's, that's kind of what he was coming across as because it's just a lot of, caution tape and red tape and stuff that you got to jump through hoops. It's understandable with the outbreak because with the NFL, and this is what we talked about a lot leading up to the season. Let, let's just see how it goes. And we thought the NFL would, would go on as usual until something happens and then kind of deal with it. And that's what we're seeing now with the Titans. They now have a, a week four by week along with the Steelers, which throws off a lot of things. Ben Roethlisberger really upset about that. As you can imagine, it, it throws off an entire season when you're planning it out in your head as a player, I imagine. But with the NFL, it just makes things a lot more complicated because there are so few games. With Major League Baseball, you have a lot of games to be able to make up and, and time to be able to make up games. With the NFL, you don't have that luxury. So, I, I mean, we're still seeing how it's going to play out with the Titans. Their facility is still closed. So will they even be able to play this Sunday against the Bills? I can't imagine that that's going to happen. So now you have two weeks where you haven't played games. I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I don't know that the NFL has the answer. I think they're going to have to wait and see how it plays out. Yeah, and it kind of really paints how fragile this whole situation is because, you know, in the, the last week, the NFL and BioReference, the lab uh, that's uh, been hired to handle all of the testing, they've conducted 37,000 tests on basically 8,000 players and staff members. And out of that, only 26 people tested positive. I mean, when you look at the number of tests and the number of individuals tested, 26 isn't a whole lot. But when you're trying to play games, one test is almost too much, one positive test. And in the case of Tennessee, since September 24th, 11 positive tests for them. New England has three positive for tests. For players for them. They've uh, had right, right. I'm sorry, for players. And there's yeah. more staff members. Um, but it kind, of, it kind of shows you just how fragile this season is and how – uh, the the league is trying to take additional steps. Um, and one of the steps is that teams can only bring in five players for visits or tryouts per week. But if a team places three players on injured reserve over the course of seven days, then you can bring in twice the number of players who go on injured reserve. We got a question on Twitter uh, one of our readers was wondering about uh, 49ers and all the, the injuries that they've had at defensive end. And Jonathan, 49er faithful, says, do you think there's a small chance they can sign Clay Matthews to the team? Well, Clay Matthews is a, a free agent, uh, 34 years old. 
And, you know, that got me thinking about where the 49ers are, uh, their salary cap, they're kind of bumped up against it. I just checked the, the numbers at the NFLPA and they're three and a half million under the salary cap. And I, I think the, the, the complication or the problem that, that the 49ers might run into and other teams might run into is when you go out and sign a guy who's older, and I'll take Ziggy Ansa as an example, yep. and he hasn't had the entire training camp offseason and you bring him in cold, I just wonder if those older players are more susceptible to season-ending types of injuries than you know a younger guy who's making you know just the minimum uh especially a guy who's been on the practice squad who's been working out and practicing so i just don't think that it makes any sense for the 49ers to go out and pay somebody to come to their roster now unless you're paying them the absolute minimum and the guy that the 49ers elevated from the practice squad to the 53-man roster is Alex Barrett. And let me tell you what Alex Barrett has been through since February. Are you ready to write this down, Laura? No, I have no more room for notes. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just All tell the you. Injuries took this, up my notes. Committed to memory. He was, he, the 49ers signed him on February 2nd. They waived him on July 30th. They re-signed him on August 2nd. They waived him on August 13th. They signed him again on August 30th. They waived him on September 5th. They signed him to the practice squad on September 23rd. And they call him up to the active roster, ready to suit up and play in a game potentially on October 7th. So well, that, that gives you an idea of where they are as far as just trying to find 53 players for their team. Yeah. I mean, a roller coaster of emotions for him, that's for sure. But everybody's got a shot this season because so many teams are dealing with stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is, I don't want to say a nightmare of a scenario, but it's, get, it's kind of feeling like it's getting to be there a little bit with the injuries piling up on top of COVID going on around the league. I mean, I think my biggest concern for the Niners right now is, is the cornerback position. Mm -hmm just because it's so thin. It's something that we've talked about money-wise at the end of the season with what you were talking about with Ziggy Anza. That was, we, we talked earlier in the week about that, uh, not on any of our shows, but just when we were discussing, you know, planning stuff coming, stuff to talk about this upcoming week. And with Ziggy Anza, that was what I wanted to talk to you about was you sign a guy for $3 million. How many more times can you afford to do that? Really yeah. none. I mean, no. you can't afford to bring another guy in. It was an unfortunate situation. I don't know whether his age played a part in that. I don't know whether not having the preseason played a part in that. There's a lot of factors this season, so it's hard to pinpoint just one. But you can't afford to do that time and time again if you're the Niners because now all of a sudden you're talking about the future of your franchise. You're talking about 2021, 2022. You start running out of money. Yeah, and you know you can roll over salary cap money. In the past, the Forty Niners have done that. They've they've kept some salary cap money or a lot of salary cap money in reserve, but now they don't have that much to roll over. And next year, the salary cap could be dropping, and they have a lot of free agents, so a lot of issues with this team. And you know this the guy that they 
they claimed off the Dolphins practice squad just a few weeks ago, Ken Webster ended up getting into the game Sunday night and playing a lot. And it's kind of interesting, Laura, is that, you know, when in years past, when I've covered the team, you'd walk into the locker room and you'd see a new guy and you would maybe go over and introduce yourself to him and you'd see his face and you'd get a, you know, just, you, you would have an idea of who he is and, and what he's about and what he looks like. And now, you know, before games, when, when I put my binoculars to my eyeballs and I look at guys warming up, I'm going, I have no idea who that guy is. Yeah, let me check the list. Is it even up yeah. to date? Right yeah, now? it's like I, I pretty much check off the guys I do know and then narrow it down to, well, it's one of these four or five or six guys. And I did that with Tabor Pepper, the uh, the long snapper. I saw him out on the field and I was like, I don't know who that guy is, but let's see, it's not him, 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 or him. It must be Tabor Pepper. So, yeah, it's just strange because we are used to being around the locker room and not only – you know, when you have a new guy come in, you're able to meet them. Imagine this season, if we actually were able to be, be there, you'd be meeting new people, five new people a week. Yeah. I probably wouldn't know any of them anyway, because that's too much information for my little brain to handle. Same. Breach. <laughs> we can only handle so much. Hence all my notes uh, that now have spilled over to pages and pages and pages. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a strange situation. And I think one thing that we haven't gotten the chance to touch on, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I think it's worth mentioning with a, what's going to happen. How many times do we say this? What's going to happen when a star player tests positive for COVID? Well, we're in the, Cam, right now, Cam Newton tested Cam positive. Newton. Exactly. And, that's what I'm he, saying. So now we're going to see how that plays out. Uh, that was something we talked about. So, I mean, over the past four months leading up to the season and here we are, it was almost inevitable, unfortunately, that that, was going to happen and cam newton is really the the big name player so far to have tested positive and we'll have to see how the patriots handle it yeah and i think you know all things considered i think the nfl has handled it well you know once they made that decision that they were gonna try to do this season um i just don't know how they could have done much better than what they've done we know that here in the past week or 10 days they've run into some problems and hey they're going to run into more problems. And it's just a matter of you know, how they're going to move forward with this. That's the reason they expanded the practice squad. That's the reason they've enacted these other rules, such as just the three-week injured reserve that the 49ers are taking advantage of, and, and rightfully so, obviously. Every team has taken advantage of those rules. And I think some of these rules are so good that they should stick even in, in non-pandemic days. But Hey, it's a fact of life for the 2020 football season. And uh, I mean, it continues to play out in front of our very eyes and you don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't think Roger Goodell knows how it's going to work out. Everybody's just trying to, to kind of deal with things as they come up and make the best decisions uh, for everybody and for the safety of the players, the staff members, the families, and, and what's best for the sport. I know one thing. This is not how it's going to play out. I've heard some people suggest a bubble for the NFL. That there's, It's just not realistic to do a bubble, maybe for the playoffs or something like that. A bubble is unrealistic for as many personnel and players and travel and you name it. That, that's not going to happen in the NFL. You can't do a bubble. Yeah, but can you do 32 bubbles? Mm, I don't know. I just, 
I don't know. There, there's a lot more, you know, there's a lot more players, staff members, coaches. There's a lot more people. You know, when you're talking about you have 53 players, you have uh, 16 practice squad guys, then you have all the guys that are on injured reserve. So you're getting up around 80 players. And then you're talking, I don't know how many coaches, staff members, equipment people. I mean, it just, it, it's, it's, I think you're right. I think it's, it would be, be too, it would be too not, costly. Yeah. And you think about a bubble means you don't get to see your family. You're not seeing anyone. And I know some people might say, oh, whine about it. You're making whatever. No, we're, we're not. Like, let's have, let's be realistic. These people would not be able to leave the bubble. That's the whole point of the bubble. So you're not seeing anyone. You're not seeing your children. And for a whole season, yeah. I, I just don't see that happening. It, it worked in the NBA because it was for a short, shorter period of time for the playoffs. It works for Major League Baseball in the postseason. They did not do a bubble in their regular season. So I just don't see it happening. I don't think it's realistic. I don't think it's feasible to do a bubble in the NFL. Again, maybe for the playoffs, but not for an entire season. Well, Laura, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but um, this 49ers talk episode is over. Well, one dad joke, that bursts my bubble. Thanks for listening to 49ers Talk with Matt Mayoko and Laura Britt. Please rate, review, and subscribe for free on your podcast provider. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.